Sue, thank you very much. Good morning. Uh, keep your Bibles open. If you've got them open, that will be great. We're going to be looking at that passage together. And uh, it's very familiar, isn't it? You could almost tell it yourself. You've, you've heard it many times preached about, and it's just one of those things that you've got. I hope we can get some fresh insights. Now, you're not allowed to call it the prodigal son, uh, because it doesn't fit with the context. Everybody calls it that and has done for years. But prodigal emphasizes the first state of the young man. It doesn't talk about what happens to him in the end. Secondly, it's in the context of a lost chapter. If you look at it carefully, you'll see that there are three illustrations in Luke 15 uh, about the idea of being lost. That is the lost sheep, the lost coin, and finally the lost son. And so it's a lost chapter, as it were. Luke 15 is a lost chapter. So the context is that. It implies that there are lost people in the world. That's what this story is about. And Jesus was in the business of gathering lost people, people who did not know him, who did not know God. And Jesus was in that business from all sections of society. It didn't matter to Jesus where people came from. It was anybody who was lost. Now, the context, if you've got your Bible open, look back to verse 1 of the chapter. The tax collectors, the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners. You can almost hear it, can't you? A right old grumble going on. Who is this bloke? Who does he think he is? Now, all these stories have that lovely sense of incompleteness. The first one, the shepherd, misses the one thing that's missing, one sheep. Where is he? Where's he gone? Where's he, where's he like? I must, I must find him. I can't rest until I found him. The woman goes everywhere looking for a coin. Where's the coin? Where's the coin? I've got to find the coin. And finally, in this story, we have the father who was looking for the son, who was always saying, where's my son? Where's he gone? Son, where are you? I miss you. So there's that lostness, but there's also something else common to all three stories. Uh, in 15.7, we read about rejoicing in heaven. In 15.10, we re read about rejoicing in the presence of the angels. And in 15.31, your brother was dead, he's alive. Let's have a party, let's rejoice. In other words, there's rejoicing at the point where God sees a person restored. A person brought into relationship with the Father again. God rejoices. And each of the main characters in this story should be very clear to you. The Father is clearly God. Uh, the prodigal is the sinner who repents. And the other one is, is, well, it's very much pointing at the Pharisees, isn't it? The last son, that beautifully read by Sue at the end there, who stands outside and says, huh, oh, it's not for me, is it? Oh, what do you think's going on? Very Pharisaic. And that's what was going on. The whole lost chapter is in response to these Pharisees muttering. And he is saying that his message, the gospel, is for sinners. But Jesus eats with sinners. And does that mean the Pharisees are saying, well, we're not. We're, we're God's people, don't you know? Well, we're not sinners. We're, we're special. We've been chosen by God, and therefore uh, we, we don't need anything. You know, we're, we're God's people. And before you start pointing fingers, remember that when you point the finger at somebody, there's three pointing at you. And it could be that we get to a place where we start saying things like, 
well, things aren't like they used to be. You know, what's going on here? We don't like what's happening. And the Pharisees were very much people that were very good at pointing. We need to understand, therefore, what a sinner is. It's not a word people like to use these days, I find. And it's very sad. It, it tended to be, didn't it? You know, um, somebody who, I remember my son once, who uh, was known for his uh, good appetite when he returned home from school, shall we say. And uh, you'd, you'd find a box of donuts emptied, you know, with him and his friends. They'd find all these donuts and they'd scoff them all day. And you'd say, oh, he's, he's been a right sinner there. Well, is that what it means? No. Biblically, that's not what it means. Sinner means somebody who is separate from God, whose relationship is not with God. It's someone away from God. And it's the same idea as being lost. Now, some of us don't like to think that way, but the Bible does. The Bible says there are people who are born again, who are in the kingdom, and there are those who aren't. And the longing that God has, the heart that God has, is to bring those people. Now, that may touch a raw nerve with some of you, with family, with friends, with loved ones, and you, you think, oh boy, wouldn't it be brilliant if they could be brought in? Well, yes, it would. And that means that we, as a community of God's people and as families, should be longing. I have a brother who's like that. He is way outside anything to do with God. And I pray for him daily that he might be restored. He used to be a minister of the gospel, and he no longer is. And he thinks it's all tosh, to coin his own phrase. So that's what it's about this morning. It's about, if God has that longing heart, then, then we should have it too. That longing to see people brought in. And maybe even now your, your, your mind's in overdrive and, and there's a name there. Well, that's great. Because we should be those that, that long to see people brought in to the kingdom. That's what this place is about. We're not a castle with a drawbridge up. We're a castle with a dirty great welcome sign across the door. Come on in. Now let's pick the story and, and see where it takes us. First of all, the younger son, he asks for his portion of, of the father's estate. In the original Greek, that would sound something more like a portion of the father's being, his life's holdings. As a younger son, we read in Deuteronomy, we know that he would get a third of the estate. That would be what he was entitled to. The eldest son always had double. If you work, That's a bit of maths involved in that, isn't it? If he has double the younger son, two-one ratio, yeah? Oh, forget it. It's a third. Anyway, just trust me. Um, interestingly, Judaism, in its own writings, has some words on this. It says this, to son or wife or brother or friend, give no power over yourself while you live, and give not your goods to another so as to have to ask for them back again. So everything in the culture would be saying, don't distribute your estate while you're still alive. Don't do it. It's crazy. And this son shows no concern for father, family. He's not chosen to stay around. He simply cashes in his inheritance. 
And that would have been considered in first century Judaism as very ungrateful and very selfish. Two reasons for the father to reject him. Locals would have gossiped. They would have said anything he gets, he deserves. He would have been an object of derision. There would have been some mitigation had he gone and invested his wealth or started a business or done something useful with the money that he got. But his journey to a far country would cut him off from family, from the worship of God, and he would waste everything. The Bible is trying to paint a picture of someone just about as far from God as you can get. That's what it's trying to say. It's trying to say this guy was a total waste of space, humanly speaking. He's painting a picture. But do you notice something else? That the father in the narrative does not ever say, son, stay. Son, stick around. Stay. Don't go. It's not there. So he has to take responsibility for his own actions. That's what he wants. That's what he gets. And off he goes. Nowhere do we read the father saying, come home, come home, don't go, don't go. And so what we have there is a picture of God saying, we all have responsibility. We all have the ability to make decisions for ourselves, our own lives. Oh yes, God is gracious, we're going to learn that in a minute. But we have to take responsibility for what we do and when we do it. And so he's going to get himself. We then get to changing circumstances. Something happens. That's the message of the famine in the far country. We have a picture here of grace, don't we? We have a lovely picture that when he was asked, the father gave him everything he asked for, which should have been passed on when he died. But he gets it early. His father allows him to go. But then we have this awful picture of sin that suggests that sin has consequences. That suggests that sometimes that is direct and obvious. Sometimes you get away with it. The person who commits adultery can be found out first time or can be, get away with it for the rest of his days. But it still means that what he did was wrong. And here we have a picture of almost complete separation from everything that gave him life. There's no money, there's no food. He's longing for pig food, an unclean animal. And he wants to eat it because he's starving hungry. And then we read these wonderful words, which happened to me and probably happened to you. He came to his senses. He went, what? What am I doing here? What's back home? What's the offer there? And I'm feeding pigs, and I'm longing to eat their grub. What am I doing? And you see, sometimes when people come to Christ, the hardship is what brings us there. It isn't always somebody putting an arm of love around us. That can happen. Sometimes it's suffering. Sometimes it's something coming up which makes you say, whoa, I need to think about this. And how many have you experienced that? I'm sure a lot of you have. Where something made you just stop short. 
and think again. Wasn't it C.S. Lewis who described suffering as God's megaphone? What are you doing? God says. And so he goes home. And he even rehearses his little speech. He, he has a speech already for his dad. Father, I'm, I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm, I'm rubbish. I've done so many stupid things. Father, I, oh dear, just make me one of your servants. I'll be happy. It'll be all right. You, know, you, can, you can almost hear him running it over and over and over again like a, a repeating tape. But what we have is a longing father, don't we? The wanderer returns. Normally, a father would expect a son to be ushered into his presence and show him honor and respect. Father, I am honored to be back, or something like it. And in this case, apologize profusely for being such an idiot. What follows in this story is one of the most beautiful, beautiful characterizations of what God is truly like. The dad has been curtain peeping for some time. No, not today. Oh, not today. Is he coming? No, he's not here. Ah, oh, there he is. And I think you've got to get that. You, the story is so dramatic for me. I, I just love this story. It, it's just a kind of a, a wonderful moment when you finally see it, you know? There it is. I can remember as a, a schoolboy, we were all told to stand on a road in, in Exeter. Not as a school teacher, I'm sorry. And, and the Queen was coming. And everybody was stood, we, we, we had a lesson off, which was great, uh, I didn't have to teach. So we were all stood there, and then the queen, is, is, she, is she coming? Oh, there she is, there she is. And it happened to me again at Wimbledon when I was stewarding, and I had to stand there like this. And you weren't allowed to avert your gaze, you were told to look straight ahead of you like that, and the queen walked past, and this tiny woman about this high walked straight past. It's the queen. And I confess that I did just have a little tweak of the eyes. And I, I wasn't supposed to. I was told very strictly not to. It's the queen. It's the queen. There she is. When you came to faith in Christ, and forgive me if this is overcooking it, God said, yes! Rejoicing. Yes! A sinner has repented. And we didn't do God a favor. God came to meet us. This guy hitches up. If he'd have run with his robe, he'd have fallen flat on his face. So he must have hitched up his robe and tied it around here and said, I've got to get there. Did he wait for him? No. He's seen him and he goes for him. And he slings arms around his neck and says, son, you're home. Brilliant. You see, I, I'm not an emotional sort of character, really. I didn't think I'd get away with that, but there we go. But, but to me, there's so much emotion here, and sometimes we, we Brits kind of, you know, cut this out of this story, but you cannot underestimate here the, the idea that um, the father had for that son returning. My son is home. We sometimes, don't we, talk of coming to faith. I wish we wouldn't. Every religion comes to faith of some sort. 
What we do is come back to relationship with God. He is our Father. Our Son, the the Lord Jesus Christ, died for us. The Holy Spirit indwells us. This is unique to Christianity. Yes, we do come to faith. I understand the reason it's used, but we come to relationship. Uh, And so there's party time. Um, Party time's okay, all right? It's good to celebrate. This party could not have been bigger. It's a symbol of full and complete restoration. The best robe, the family ring, the sandals, everything. The feast declares that the lost son has been found and the rejoicing goes on. And that's something very special. The rejoicing, the rejoicing. There, the son comes out with a little speech, but but there's no criticism that I read. There's no, son, you should have done this, mate. Why did you do that? Why did you go off with all your money? Why did you go mucking around with prostitutes? Why did you do that? Why did you do that? No. There's a wonderful sense of complete forgiveness and restoration which comes when he comes home. Bill Hybels, the pastor of that little church in Chicago called Willow Creek, um, only got about 30,000, 40,000 members, I think, something like that. He had a stop phrase in his early ministry. He used to say, lost people matter to God. Lost people matter to God. It was the whole way the church was built. I, I want to suggest to you this morning that, uh, and forgive me if this is a guilt trip, it's not meant to be in any way, but if we could get to the point where there's, there's somebody there in, in our psyche, in our thinking, in, stuck on our fridge, in our Bible somewhere, that we, we keep thinking and praying and saying, I know that person is not a believer. Wouldn't it be wonderful if they came to that glorious moment of trusting Christ as Savior and Lord? And there's a lovely repentant sinner restoration story here, isn't there? Of someone who's... Now, that happened to me. And it happened to many of us here this morning. Go back to it now and again. Don't dwell on it overly, but just go back now and again and say, thank you, Lord for that moment, or that era, that time. For me, it's, a, it's not a one-moment thing. It's a sort of summer when gradually, 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 I got it. That here was the guy, the student with the great brain, you know, who was so clever and so good at everything he touched, had to be brought low and humbly confess that there was a God who sent his son to die and there was a Holy Spirit who wanted to live in me. And I had to relearn life on the basis of that. But I'm so grateful that God did that for me. But of course, there is in this story a sting in the tail, isn't there? The one who stayed at home. I've done a hard day's work. He, t- he finds the party in full swing and for the, the useless waste of space. Why on earth is he having a party? What's going on here? He's exceedingly angry, he won't go in. He wants nothing to do with his lost and wayward brother. It's almost like Jesus is saying, Philistines, are you listening? You started all this lost stuff. Now which son is lost now? And he moans, and he says he deserves his loyalty. Now, the facts are true. He has stayed home. He has been loyalty, loyal to his father. He has done a good day's work, day in, day out. All that's true. Where he goes wrong is to say, I deserve it. 
That's where he loses the plot. And we lose it when we say, I have served God faithfully for several years. I've been on every committee that I've been asked to join. I have served faithfully on the flower rotor. I have even done... I was going to say messy church, Claire, but that's not fair with you sat there, is it? I've done this, I've done that, and some of you look around you. All these people that have faithfully served, therefore I deserve God's grace. Cut out the last sentence. Everything I have is God's to give me and for me to receive and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. And what this eldest son should have been doing is to say, thank you, Lord, that I have been here day in, day out. Thank you that I have had the opportunity to do a good day's work. Thank you that I have had all the blessings of living in this house, in this place, update it to here and say the same thing. I'm so fortunate to be part of Christ Church Winchester. I could not be more blessed. How fortunate to have you lot as my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Isn't it fantastic? And I do thank you, Alan, so much. Glad you came, brother. Come again, any day you like. And, and if we, if we just, just get out of the thing that I, I kind of deserve this, and it's all of grace, then the eldest son would have been fine. But as far as we know, he doesn't come to sit at the table. He doesn't come and join the feast. He's too busy outside, moaning. Maybe there's someone here this morning who needs to realize that please yourself work doesn't go. What works is coming to Christ in repentance and faith and saying, Lord, I want you to touch my life. I want to come home. Well, let me tell you this, the Father is still peeping out through the curtain for you. He's still longing to sling his arms around you. And there's still a God waiting to say to you, it's good to see you. And if you are in a state where you think you are far off, you've wandered miles, you're into stuff that you ought not to be into, you're in a relationship that you ought not to be in, you're mucking about, Well, this morning is an opportunity to know that there's a father on the lookout, longing to draw you back. Join in the party. Have that moment when you realize that pig food existence is not good. You're in a far country, but you can come home. And God is there waiting to meet you, and he will jump for joy when he sees you coming. Yes! How wonderful is our God, and how much he wants to bless you, how much he wants to rejoice in your return. Shall we bow our heads and pray? Let's pray. Father, please, please forgive us if any of us here think that living away from God and doing our own thing is a good idea. I 
pray that you will speak to us very clearly that the Father of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, is longing to meet with us and restore that relationship. And he wants us to know him, to relate to him, to, to be loved by him, and for us to love him and to develop that greater and greater as, as our lives go on. Help us never to get to that place where we, we think we've, we've sorted it and so we can stand aloof and moan. And if any of us are out there, outside the party, thinking we deserve anything, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you will break through and give us humility to know that we deserve nothing, that God wants to lavish us with all the goodness of party time. Touch us, we pray. Help us to know that glorious restoration and to do it gladly because you are a loving and a gracious Father. And we love you. Amen.